Welcome to Words to Live By, a podcast series hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. Each week, we will share some of the wit and wisdom of Ronald Reagan. In essence, Words to Live By, made up of radio addresses and speeches he delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. Forty years ago, in January 1984, our then 40th president delivered an address to the nation and other countries on the status of U.S.-Soviet relations. Things weren't too rosy then. Recall that Andropov was still in power, completely unapologetic about the massacre of KAL-007, or anything else for that matter. And until Gorby came into office in March 1985, that's early in Reagan's second term as president, working with the Soviets wasn't easy. It was no day at the beach. I felt that if I could get in a room alone with a top Soviet leader, the two of us might be able to reduce the risk of nuclear war. Shortly after I was discharged from the hospital after I was shot in the spring of 1981, I sent a handwritten letter to Leonid Brezhnev, the top Soviet leader, declaring my interest in opening a dialogue between us that would lead to peace. It was what I called quiet diplomacy. I didn't get anywhere with Brezhnev, and before long he died. Then I wrote similar letters to the two men who followed him in the Kremlin, Yuri Andropov and Konstantin Chernenko. But before I could get anywhere, they died too. One night I asked Nancy, how am I supposed to get any place with the Russians if they keep dying on me? So if he couldn't get anywhere with them face-to-face, he went face-to-face with the American people to explain what exactly he was trying to do. During these first days of 1984, I would like to share with you and the people of the world my thoughts on a subject of great importance to the cause of peace, relations between the United States and the Soviet Union. Despite being called a warmonger, Ronald Reagan's goal always was and continued to be peace. Even in his first address to the American people as president, he reiterated his belief. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. With that in mind, now let's move forward to January 1984, when a disarmament conference was held in Europe. What was the president's goal? Let's listen. Tomorrow, the United States will join the Soviet Union and 33 other nations at a European disarmament conference in Stockholm. The conference will search for practical and meaningful ways to increase European security and preserve peace. We will be in Stockholm with the heartfelt wishes of our people for genuine progress. We live in a time of challenges to peace, but also of opportunities to peace. Through times of difficulty and frustration, America's highest aspiration has never wavered. We have and will continue to struggle for a lasting peace that enhances dignity for men and women everywhere. I believe that 1984 finds the United States in the strongest position in years to establish a constructive and realistic working relationship with the Soviet Union. 
We've come a long way since the decade of the 70s, years when the United States seemed filled with self-doubt and neglected its defenses, while the Soviet Union increased its military might and sought to expand its influence by armed forces and threat. So Mike Deaver said Ronald Reagan never saw a statistic he didn't love. So here we go with the president's why based on data. Lots of data. Let's listen. Over the last 10 years, the Soviets devoted twice as much of their gross national product to military expenditures as the United States, produced six times as many ICBMs, four times as many tanks, twice as many combat aircraft, and they began deploying the SS-20 intermediate range missile at a time when the United States had no comparable weapon. History teaches that wars begin when governments believe the price of aggression is cheap. To keep the peace, we and our allies must be strong enough to convince any potential aggressor that war could bring no benefit, only disaster. So when we neglected our defenses, the risks of serious confrontation grew. Three years ago, we embraced a mandate from the American people to change course, and we have. With the support of the American people in the Congress, we halted America's decline. Our economy is now in the midst of the best recovery since the 60s. Our defenses are being rebuilt, our alliances are solid, and our commitment to defend our values has never been more clear. America's recovery may have taken Soviet leaders by surprise. They may have counted on us to keep weakening ourselves. They've been saying for years that our demise was inevitable. They said it so often they probably started believing it. Well, if so, I think they can see now they were wrong. This may be the reason that we've been hearing such strident rhetoric from the Kremlin recently. These harsh words have led some to speak of heightened uncertainty and an increased danger of conflict. This is understandable, but profoundly mistaken. Look beyond the words and one fact stands out. America's deterrence is more credible and it is making the world a safer place. Safer because now there is less danger that the Soviet leadership will underestimate our strength or question our resolve. Yes, we are safer now, but to say that our restored deterrence has made the world safer is not to say that it's safe enough. We're witnessing tragic conflicts in many parts of the world. Nuclear arsenals are far too high, and our working relationship with the Soviet Union is not what it must be. These are conditions which must be addressed and improved. More about the president's strategy for peace right after this brief message. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give 
That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now, back to the president's address, where he explains why he believes in credible deterrence and peaceful competition. Let's listen. Deterrence is essential to preserve peace and protect our way of life. But deterrence is not the beginning and end of our policy toward the Soviet Union. We must and will engage the Soviets in a dialogue as serious and constructive as possible, a dialogue that will serve to promote peace in the troubled regions of the world, reduce the level of arms, and build a constructive working relationship. Neither we nor the Soviet Union can wish away the differences between our two societies and our philosophies. But we should always remember that we do have common interests. And the foremost among them is to avoid war and reduce the level of arms. There is no rational alternative but to steer a course which I would call credible deterrence and peaceful competition. And if we do so, we might find areas in which we could engage in constructive cooperation. Our strength and vision of progress provide the basis for demonstrating with equal conviction our commitment to stay secure and to find peaceful solutions to problems through negotiations. That's why 1984 is a year of opportunities for peace. But if the United States and the Soviet Union had arise to the challenges facing us and seize the opportunities for peace, we must do more to find areas of mutual interest and then build on them. And now, at this point, the president is going to show his practical side. It's not just rhetoric. He has a three-step plan to continue on the path to peace. Let's listen. I propose that our governments make a major effort to see if we can make progress in three broad problem areas. First, we need to find ways to reduce and eventually to eliminate the threat and use of force in solving international disputes. The world has witnessed more than 100 major conflicts since the end of World War II. Today, there are armed conflicts in the Middle East, Afghanistan, Southeast Asia, Central America, and Africa. In other regions, independent nations are confronted by heavily armed neighbors seeking to dominate by threatening attack or subversion. Most of these conflicts have their origins in local problems, but many have been exploited by the Soviet Union and its surrogates. And of course, Afghanistan has suffered an outright Soviet invasion. Fueling regional conflicts and exporting violence only exacerbate local tensions, increase suffering, and make solutions to real social and economic problems more difficult. Further, such activity carries with it the risk of larger confrontations. Would it not be better and safer if we could work together to assist people in areas of conflict in finding peaceful solutions to their problems? That should be our mutual goal. But we must recognize that the gap in American and Soviet perceptions and policy is so great that our immediate objective must be more modest. As a first step, our government should jointly examine concrete actions that we both can take to reduce the risk of U.S.-Soviet confrontation in these areas. And if we succeed, 
we should be able to move beyond this immediate objective. Our second task should be to find ways to reduce the vast stockpiles of armaments in the world. It's tragic to see the world's developing nations spending more than $150 billion a year on armed forces, some 20% of their national budgets. We must find ways to reverse the vicious cycle of threatened response, which drives arms races everywhere it occurs. With regard to nuclear weapons, the simple truth is America's total nuclear stockpile has declined. Today, we have far fewer nuclear weapons than we had 20 years ago. And in terms of its total destructive power, our nuclear stockpile is at the lowest level in 25 years. Just three months ago, we and our allies agreed to withdraw 1,400 nuclear weapons from Western Europe. This comes after the withdrawal of 1,000 nuclear weapons from Europe three years ago. Even if all our planned intermediate-range missiles have to be deployed in Europe over the next five years, and we hope this will not be necessary, we will have eliminated five existing nuclear weapons for each new weapon deployed. But this is not enough. We must accelerate our efforts to reach agreements that will greatly reduce nuclear arsenals, provide greater stability, and build confidence. Our third task is to establish a better working relationship with each other, one marked by greater cooperation and understanding. Cooperation and understanding are built on deeds, not words. Complying with agreements helps. Violating them hurts. Respecting the rights of individual citizens bolsters the relationship. Denying these rights harms it. Expanding contacts across borders and permitting a free exchange or interchange of information and ideas increase confidence. Sealing off one's people from the west of the world reduces it. Peaceful trade helps, while organized theft of industrial secrets certainly hurts. So, those were the three precepts of strategy. And now... The president introduces that these talks must be based on three guiding principles. Let's listen. In our discussions with the Soviet Union, we will work to remove the obstacles which threaten to undermine existing agreements and the broader arms control process. The examples I've cited illustrate why our relationship with the Soviet Union is not what it should be. We have a long way to go, but we're determined to try and try again. We may have to start in small ways, but start we must. In working on these tasks, our approach is based on three guiding principles. Realism, strength, and dialogue. Realism means we must start with a clear-eyed understanding of the world we live in. We must recognize that we are in a long-term competition with a government that does not share our notions of individual liberties at home and peaceful change abroad. We must be frank in acknowledging our differences and unafraid to promote our values. Strength is essential to negotiate successfully and protect our interests. If we're weak, we can do neither. Strength is more than military power. Economic strength is crucial, and America's economy is leading the world into recovery. Equally important is our strength of spirit 
and unity among our people at home and with our allies abroad. We're stronger in all these areas than we were three years ago. Our strength is necessary to deter war and to facilitate negotiated solutions. Soviet leaders know it makes sense to compromise only if they can get something in return. But America can now offer something in return. Strength and dialogue go hand in hand. We're determined to deal with our differences peacefully through negotiations. We're prepared to discuss the problems that divide us and to work for practical, fair solutions on the basis of mutual compromise. We will never retreat from negotiations. People want to raise their children in a world without fear and without war. They want to have some of the good things over and above bare subsistence that make life worth living. They want to work at some craft, trade, or profession that gives them satisfaction and a sense of worth. Their common interests cross all borders. If the Soviet government wants peace, then there will be peace. Together, we can strengthen peace, reduce the level of arms, and know in doing so that we have helped fulfill the hopes and dreams of those we represent, and indeed, of people everywhere. Let us begin now. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the Words to Live By podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of Words to Live By come out every Tuesday. Like what you hear? Check out our A Reagan Forum podcast featuring great speeches delivered at the Reagan Library. New episodes drop every Thursday. And... Don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan 40 on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.